Bridging cultures is a term which I have always thought of with positivity, and I believe it to be positive still. Though it does suggest a divide, a chasm over which we have to manufacture a connection. And that is the point which makes me think, is that what I want to do or represent? Diverse cultures do not need to be bridged. They do not need to be necessarily linked or connected, though fusion restaurants are apparently quite the trend. Cultural diversity should be embraced, enjoyed and observed with open recognition. I don't want to address someone's culture with trepidation because they might think I have race superiority issues. I want to openly engage with someone and admire, respect and enjoy their cultural diversity. I would hope to exchange that experience with them too, if they want. Listening to Flora, there are many cultural elements we refer to in different ways, and I wonder if you can catch the playfulness in Flora's voice when she speaks of the joys of her culture and at the same time the subtle frustration when she recalls exchanges with older white men whose prejudices did not permit them to communicate respect and hospitality when they should have. Society has a lot yet to learn about respect and tolerance. It might start by showing appreciation for cultures that have existed for thousands of years and ask for nothing but their due. They have been made to work for it for far too long. Thank you so much, Flora, for your time. It was such a pleasure to speak with you, and I look forward to the next time. Enjoy. The podcast from Joanna Mike is, I think it's really cool, and um, that is what I wanted to say. Two and a mic. I'm joined by Flora, who I've had the pleasure of knowing now for a couple of years, but this is the, I finally managed to build up the uh, the confidence and courage uh, to ask you to do a podcast with me. Flora, thank you very much for saying hi. Thank you so much for reaching out on this. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to always talk to you. You know that. That's very kind of you. Um, yeah, we've had a few interesting conversations. Just to point out, so we first met um, at a, a sort of hiking, I can't say retreat, but this group um, connected to Friends of Nature uh, in the wonderful part of uh, Germany um, called the Allgäu, and this town is Oberstdorf. Um, but I think you've been a, a long-term member or um attendee of this hiking thing i've only been there a couple of years how long have you been with the uh, friends of nature um about six years now okay yeah i haven't had the pleasure to 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 do all the trips that they organize but at least i do one one or two a year and it's always wonderful company um we get to meet i mean this is how we get to meet such uh, connections and uh, it's it's wonderful to be out in nature Mm. while while enjoying interesting conversations people left leaning and <laughs> <laughs> very yeah i feel at home i feel at home i believe you do too
<laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm also, um, even though everybody is, as you say, very much interested in nature and sustainability and has, uh, uh, politically speaking, uh, uh, this left-leaning perspective, um, I, I'm still not surprised. I'm pleased to see the level of diversity that there is within the group is and even though a lot of people are quite similar in perspectives at the same time people have different perspectives people we don't adhere everybody almost like this robotic view to a single way of of seeing the world there are different views um different methods of achieving perhaps similar targets and people from lots of different backgrounds it was great i, I mean i'm sure you you fit into that obviously in many ways but um yeah from our discussions it's clear that you also observe uh, these things i do indeed um we all in in a way i mean we encourage we encourage discussion we encourage arguments that can get very heated at some point but we all know we are we are in a similar boat. We 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 in the deepest parts of our hearts we we are we are similar in in certain ways. But of course, there's room for debate, discussions, heated sometimes. But at the end of it, uh, we all um, how do I say? There is space for diversity and diversity in opinion, diversity in culture, diversity in in, um, in how we perceive the world. And um, but these are all welcome. So this is um, a gem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and to have this, it w was also really good with the way that Friends of Nature organized these trips. Um, I'm, I haven't experienced uh, a Friends of Nature event not organized by um, Uwe, Margin and the team at uh, from Berlin. But um, yeah, this emphasis on coming together, this emphasis on doing things together, this, this emphasis on um, being involved and helping one another, uh, it, it does kind of come through in everything that they organize. It does indeed. And to bring it together, I mean, with since since we are or rather I am a member of the of the Berlin chapter and and with Uwe being at the helm of of these organizations, um, uh, the emphasis in in doing all this in nature and also having it, it, it touches me in, in many ways. You know, my ancestors used to to pray at the at the to their ancestors and give libations at the at the foot of the biggest tree or whichever tree that was and and nature was appreciated so uh, i do feel i do feel uh, at home which brings us to um obviously a, a very large part of uh, our talk today so uh, you are of african descent um I, if i'm not mistaken kenya is where yes. you would call home yes yes yeah. it's home it's interesting because we 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 refer to home um and i and i believe i, I talked to, to for many other africans but at least for the people that i know and and my family when i when i mention home it is where my parents are or it is where um i grew up and so being in germany i've i've had to to unlearn that and say you know home is where i am right now but it's still home, you know. I when I talk about home, when I'm with my with my people, 
Fathers and those who come from Kenya, when I mention home, they know I refer to Kenya. I refer to to where my parents are or where my mother is. Yeah, by the same token, I guess then for for your boy Philip, um, he would also say home is where you are. I guess that would be essentially Berlin, right? Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that association. Um, I, I also read um in LinkedIn recently a woman posted um she's from uh U- from Ukraine, so the family fled the the war, and um she said yeah I tell my parents home is where mum is. So whether that's in Ukraine or Berlin, and I think that's a very powerful statement to make. Uh, do you agree with that? I do. I do agree with that. When I say home, that's that's I'm talking about home where my mother is. And I can go and she can fold me in her arms and I feel like, oh, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Did you get a chance often to, to go home then to back to Kenya? I I do. I call it my annual pilgrimage because <laughs> it is it is. It has ended up being that when I was in in Kenya, I was I was living in in Nairobi, and my mother was living in a small town called Migori, and I saw her a lot less than I see her now because when I go now, I have a concentrated three week where I spend at least um, you know two of those weeks with or around around her. So I end up seeing her more. It's a pilgrimage as <laughs> as it is. It's different from what it was back then. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, I I miss my my mum as well, my my family back in London. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there's no there's no substitute for um, yeah, family in, in many ways. But of course, we make friends along the way, and sometimes our work becomes um, a part of us, a part of our families in some cases too. Um, and uh, that allows me to ask you about your work because. That's also a passion, um, in addition to being what, uh, yeah, what sustains you, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, as I as I mentioned during some of our con- conversations, I am in conservation right now, but I did not start off in conservation. Right? The, the baseline of my work experience is um, in fundraising and and. And as you will also see or hear from the other podcast, I talk about storytelling, but it is also about communication and understanding what makes one tick in order to 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 give. So conservation, I came into it just I call myself a small scale farmer in Kenya. I I uh, have or I buy little bits of land and I plant um hardwood native trees just because i am shocked or rather i i feel sad at the rate at which you know we are destroying what is native and what is powerful and putting up eucalyptus i see eucalyptus and i want to go in a fit of a rage and you know slash it all but it is what i can do so conservation and and the love of nature just um plays a big role and this is where I'm at right now. And so I'm working for African Parks Network and the foundation in Germany, I'm leading it and um, I'm fundraising, but mainly I focus on uh, high net worth individuals. And so the the, the, sh- the way we shape our storytelling to, to these people or to this um, category of, of, of donors 
end to each because each is a very specific prospect journey. It's quite interesting uh, how how to make this person who barely has time and is probably, you know, buying a yacht somewhere and sailing the seas or or buying a bunker somewhere because they're afraid of global warming and they want to 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 live high as high up above the rising sea level as possible. How do I make them give back? Um, and and how do I speak to the right parts of their of their feel of also of globalization and 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 what the global nature gives to to us is um is is quite interesting. It has its ups and downs and uh, their successes, there there are failures, but it's all a learning process, and we are working towards um, preserving what is what needs to be to be preserved in in Africa. Yeah, and just to also to add the the podcast to which you referred um, is the is the TU uh, is a university um, alumni. Um, podcast, which I will put a link to uh, in the podcast notes for this one as well, because it's a, it's a great um, uh, sort of it gives a lot of good, very good background detail as to what you do, how you do it, and you also talk a bit more about the storytelling and how you sort of fit it to um, you kind of make it very individualistic for the people you know, with whom you are communicating, um, and, and I do I do like that, and it's always good to support these other podcasters. Um, <laughs> Just to mention something, the podcast is called Zukunftsmacherinnen, like the future makers. I'm a bit embarrassed about that because I I would not necessarily, you know, categorize myself as that, but it is what it is. The we we do our little parts to to make the future better, but I I doubt I'm a future maker, but it is what it is. Well, I mean, I suppose you represent an organization which is there as much as possible to create or to allow the possibility for sustaining these large areas, these parks in Africa, uh, that future generations can see them. So you participate at least in this this role, don't you? you I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, they're not wide of the mark from that perspective but uh yeah story i mean we've got so many topics and as i kind of suggested um before we you know i would love to have a kind of series with you as much as your time would allow uh, because there are so many different topics that we can talk about but you mentioned their storytelling um storytelling is a very cultural culturally unique art every culture has a different way of telling stories um and Africa is very rich in storytelling traditions, which unfortunately um, you wouldn't be able to walk into every European bookstore and pick up uh, an African storytelling book or go into an African storytelling um, part or department. How much of your cultural heritage can you actually put in to the storytelling that you use for raising funds? Um, thanks for that question, because just the other day I was singing um, a lullaby to, to the daughter of, of, of a friend of mine, and she's Kenyan. And I turned around and I only, literally, I only know one 
or two songs to sing a child to sleep. And then I turned to her and asked, do you have any other songs? And she told me, but we all sang just this one in, in, in Swahili. And we were reflecting on that and I, I reflected back and I said, well, we never sang our children to, we don't sing our children to sleep where I come from in Kenya. What we do is, and what was done and sadly is, is dying out just because we are so consummated, you know, with media and 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 let's watch uh, let's watch television and then go go to bed. But we told stories. It was a time of somebody to tell a story in the night right before, you know, the kids went to to sleep or or the parents told told stories. It was always about creativity of stories, but it, it focused a lot about you know, life in, in, in the rural areas or, or stories about animals or stories, wild animals. Um, they all had characters, um, specific characteristics attributed to, to, to each animal. And, and you could weave stories with that. Sorry, that was just anecdotal. But uh, uh, in my case, I love language and, and languages and and for 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 a while, I, I consumed a lot of a lot of books, and I at some point, I specifically told myself that I am not going to consume only uh, Western literature, and I am part of of a Goodreads um, group that chooses a book by a person of color a month and read it and debate and talk about it. So it's it's just my love for language and my love for for being able to and I love to I love to speak as I hope I love to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, I think I'm you're going to. I'm working on that. <laughs> I'm working on that. But uh, it is it is the compelling narrative that one develops and how how to to bring the accent or the the, the stress on on different parts of it in order to reach someone. That is quite interesting. I think in another life I might have just, you know, been a writer. But I guess I did try once. Uh, but I sat there with my empty, with my empty um, notebook, and I realized this isn't going to work for you, Flora. You have to move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you never struck me as somebody who talks too much, nor indeed when given the opportunity of of, of speaking. Um, tries to dominate the the agenda but i do believe isn't first impressions are interesting because um and we're also going to talk about this because you you have some interesting stories about first impressions um and we'll come to that a first impression i had of you um you have you obviously you have a very big smile um and it's it's wonderful to see somebody smiling because when i see someone smiling i also perversely realized that it's so rare to see someone smiling you walk down the street and everybody's you know vexed or stressed or thinking about damn what do I have to do next um but it's wonderful to see somebody so comfortably carry a smile as you do um but you also have a very um what's the best way of saying it you're very it seems determined and you have a very determined look about you it almost seems as though when I when I when I look at you and I, I saw you that you knew where you were going and because of the smile you were very happy to be going there. 
<laughs> that's the image that I first had of you. So um, just to just to put that in. Yeah. Um, oh, is I, that wrong? I, I yeah. do. I do. One of those things here, because the, the, the winters here are dour and people have, you know, have long faces. And I just run, get, get access or talk to random strangers on, on the train and I compliment them on, on this color that they're wearing or I compliment them on, on the book they're reading or, or how they look. And it's almost, they're always taken aback for a second. And then they smile back and they're so happy. And you see this person carrying that smile for a couple more minutes until a walk out of the, it doesn't cost much. It, it really doesn't. And um, I guess I'm also, how do you say, it, in that generosity, I'm also getting back. Uh, it's not, it's not purely, it's not purely giving. I'm also getting back. True, yeah, but yeah, you have to, to give to, of yourself, don't you? Mm-hmm. Sometimes to, yes, to to receive. So um, indeed. But talking about that um, determination, and, and and it's also it's also anecdotal. Um, I I'm struggling cultures. And um, if one doesn't go through life struggling cultures with determination to to make a change or to just enjoy life or or to achieve what one sets to achieve, then one one is lost in in, in that morass in between. Um, and it is it's interesting to talk about it because. Um, there are so many, so many elements why that determination has to to carry me across, you know, my work, but also just life in general. Being in being in Germany, um, also, you know, having to 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 travel to to the eastern part parts of 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 Germany and come out and not feel like I want to pack my bags and go back to Kenya. So. It's one of those that one I wear it. Probably I wear it as a shield. Could that be? I I wonder. I have to ponder about that a bit more. Yeah. First impressions and conversations is uh, it was when we had our chat to talk about things. Maybe today it's going to seem a bit like um, we're jumping around from topic to topic, but I really want to get a good grounding, as it were, and then maybe in the future we can uh, expand on some topics. But um, you you. Of what well, you said about um, when you meet new people for the first time and you've already interacted with them, um, that you can see a bit of perhaps confusion on their faces when you first appear. Uh, and I, I love that little story. Well, please, if you would like to sort of retell it, because it's just fantastic. Sure thing. Uh, and, and that is mainly related to to my work. Um so I do I do interact with with um, say for instance in my previous job I interacted a lot with ministries and and I had several meetings with um, high level ranking ministry officials or or talking to foundations or or even to to some of the donors that I meet so the first conversations and because they just don't have time to Google and find out who this woman is who's talking to them my surname is Ikawa Witter and Ikawa is Sounds very Japanese, and Witte is so white German Dutch that um, there is the presumption that I am not black. Let's just uh, we put it like that. 
So finally, when we get to meet and, you know, you're walking into a boardroom and open the door and people are sitting and, and waiting and I'm coming in either by myself or my CEO or, or any other person I'm bringing along. And I walk in and it is almost always sure that they look above and over my shoulder to see the Ikalvitsa coming into the room and they dismiss me. It is the dismissal is so uh, I've learned to see it. I've learned to enjoy it. And then, you know, come in and sit down. And um, after the round of introductions and sadly, I, I, I sit in front of many older white men and uh, a lot of uh, some of the stereotypes are true. And so they start speaking and they start speaking over me as 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 we as we say it and and I let it I I listen and I just let them do that for for a bit until it's my time to interject or to uh, to speak and 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 have an argument or, or or just present and I do love to I play it I do love to when I'm presenting I get up and I walk I pace the room just because I don't like to to sit down and and, and sort of I interpose some power, but it's because I must do this. And and the shock when they finally get to listen to me, it's always so palpable. It is brilliant. I, I, I'm <laughs> laughing inside. <laughs> but these are, these are the things I have to deal with, um, being a black woman working in a very dominantly white male, older male society. And having to achieve the results I set out to achieve. So there goes determination again. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, it's amazing that you can do this with the regularity um, and, and of course, thereafter, the, the success that follows. I mean, you said that it's not always success. You know, sometimes there are, you know, you can't achieve what you want to achieve. And that's obviously that's part of uh, of any job that we, we engage in. Um, but the point is the courage, having the courage to push open that door and walk through it. Uh, and um, despite knowing this is probably going to happen. Um, I've heard lots of people talk about this from um, a different perspective. And it's like, you know, why do I always have to um, justify my presence? Why do I always have to fight a corner that any other person or a white person would just simply be able to walk in and be immediately accepted that they have a right to be in that room and yet i have to fight for that and um it, it's it's a it's a, a hateful side of um how uh, unequal society continues to be um but i think your approach can only tell me that you you will win that argument every time I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall to be honest and see that one day please take me along <laughs> I would. I will get ready for this. <laughs> I, I can't wait. We're wonderful to see that. If it ever happens, I would love to uh, to do that. Um, yeah. So okay. So also the fundraising. Um, in the other podcast, you say something really interesting, and it's something that I've often thought about because I've worked with other NGOs um, and raising money and finances in general is a huge part of every uh, non-governmental organization because they simply cannot rely on um, sort of tax um, 
not necessarily tax benefits, but money from uh, the tax taxation system. Um, so it's very important that you you are successful in, in doing what you do, and it's such a small portion of the of the economy that um, goes to NGOs. And you mentioned this thing about partnerships, and that's also you know the SDG goal number seventeen is about partnerships. Um, why is it so hard to develop partnerships with other organisations um, in raising money do you think i believe the, the biggest part is that many organizations also a founder mentality plays a big role in that is they seek to be the best at what they do create their name uh, get the recognition and the power that they can do what it is they set out to do the, the problem is that not one organization can be a solution to to a specific niche of, 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 of a problem. There, there are interconnectivities. And it's it sort of ends up being the same capitalistic mindset. It's a dog-eat-dog dog world. I want to get as much. I want to grow. I want to be to have this organization under my name that has X number of staff and that is raising X amount of money. And so they are so focused internally on on their own, you know, finding or, or creating space for themselves. It's like a dog marking its path on a tree. It's, it's it it is that, and it is sadly harming um, the potential impact that that collaboration could could bring. And as we go along, as monies get, you know, as more organizations proliferate um, the, the giving space, there is less and less that is then divided among so many more. Uh, there are NGOs sprouting left, right and center. Um, it is just this very, very it's selfish. Uh, let's let's call it as it is. And I will, you know, give giving examples of some organizations that I have um, I have consulted for and, and and with. One cannot do everything on their own. So the, the need for collaboration is is so is so much greater than the need for their own self sustenance. And 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 uh, which is why I chose to work for African Parks because our funding model is not one that is going to make us, you know, I, I, I'm not looking at having a team of 50 people working under me. I am working alone, so to speak, in, in, in Germany and covering a uh, um, bit of the Dach area, as I call it, you know, Switzerland and, and Austria. And it is to get this as much of this amount down to the parks and what, to where it's needed instead of funding a huge number of staff who's working on on small grants and and calling it or oh, we are a big organization it is the the, the bigness or the, the, the i want to i want the power play of having x number of staff or x amount of money coming my way is a lot stronger than the the, the impact that could be achieved if if people work together the the, the interconnectivities when we're talking about conservation is is so key you know we were talking about community um engaging communities we we're talking about uh tourism on the one side but also on um, having landscape approaches or having uh cross-border approaches 
that would essentially require in order to have a, a broader, you know, stronger impact, it would require uh, collaborations of, that is sorry that went I went a lot longer than I should have done but I, I do get very frustrated when it comes to to the piecemeal ways that NGOs work and um, the whole NGO spirit of of collaboration is is lost and um, it it does take it does take um, a lot to to get people to think together yeah and there's no no limit to how long it can, you can take to answer a question. It's uh, it's yeah, it's it's great because the more that you you talk, the more thoughts uh, come out. Um, so you, you kind of expand upon an issue which I only know a little part of, and you and you give a greater uh, response within that same context. Um, yeah, it, well, as you were talking, I also had this this thought that um, you you mentioned that the proliferation of NGOs, and clearly there are. Um, organizations whose sole intention is to divert money away from certain other NGOs um, and is to sort of kind of as much as is possible to control uh, the flow of that those finances into maybe European or American or Canadian um, areas and to kind of deprive other areas of some of those funds. Um, because otherwise, why else would there be so many of these groups forming up, uh, so many lobby groups, um, so many NGOs um, and so many charities, even though I'm sure all of them have a, a wonderful um, concept, a passionate um, group of recipients who are well deserving of that. But I, I sometimes ask myself whether or not the intent, intentions of the founders is as pure as they, they want us to make out. And there have been instances in the past of groups completely misusing the funds and the authority that they have been supposedly given to spend those funds. And there I have to ask a question. Are these people really in it for what they say? Or is there another sort of an ulterior motive? That, that's just a, it's a bit conspiratorial, but it really... It is. It is not conspiratorial at all. I'll give you an anecdote. Look at look at um, the churches and the sects that are that are. And and I give the example of I I talk about my own country. I talk about Africa in general. But the the best examples are in the U.S. And this preacher or pastor, however they call them, has bought a huge jet has bought himself, he walks around, he's preaching and he says, you look, look at my shoes, they cost $900, you know. So, and then you, this is sort of the mindset that some people have. It is about gaining money. It's about, it's about self-enrichment, in, in the, which is why a lot of foundations now have come up with very, very strong due, due diligence, which costs a lot of time, takes a lot of money. But it is due to such examples that we are now facing a lot of um, much more, much more scrutiny, much more time in due diligence, which is great. It is just a lot just because we we suffer from from those that have misused funds for their own gain. And there are many such. There are very many such um, charities. The anecdote with the, with the churches is just it brings it 
you know, much more clear about, you know, founders who are in it for the money. And it is not only the charitable uh, purpose that they said or that they wrap it up to be. Um, thank you for that um, uh, yeah, prime example, because um, none particular came to mind when I was just expressing my frustration. So thank you. Um, let's move on to something more positive again, uh, because um, that is a part of um, the point of our discussion. You've got a very interesting group of women um, of a Kenyan culture in Berlin. Um, please tell me about it, because even though it sounds quite a specific group of women, Kenyan women, there's also an interesting element of diversity even within that group, isn't there? Indeed, there is. Um, just, just shortly to to say that the person who who came up with this idea, and this is what happens when when one comes from, you know, you come from one country, you move to the other. Um, I'm just lucky that I'm very social, so I did not have to gravitate to 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 have a link to to Kenyan people in in Germany. It was it was in an ad hoc way that, that I met them. But this this woman who started this group set out to have no more than 10, 15 women who are there to support the other members of the group in in all ways, shapes and forms. So. The diversity in the group is, in essence, multicultural within within the Kenyan society. So we all come from different different. Um, um, it's we, we we still end up being very very tribal in, in a way because we speak all those languages and you know, languages separate us. But it's across those divides and it's across the professional divide as well. So we we are having lawyers, this me we are having accountants, we have people who are in uh, housekeeping. So it is very diverse. So it's not an elite group, but it is a group that is we, we we share that part of our culture that we're not able to find here, which is you know we 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 are those we are we carry our histories and our cultures in us, and they are rich. And once you cross that divide and you you're living somewhere else in a different country. You lose the community. You lose. You lose the, the the enjoyment of being in that community. The the jokes that we tell. You know, I I'll I'll say a word and we'll all fall down laughing because we we have we know this, and we meet every month. We you know we go to different occasions and weddings or whatever it is, and once a month I know that I have my and in between we meet singly or also and just be Kenyan and be Kenyan women in a very, very safe space, but also, you know, go on with our language, you know, we speak Swahili, we mix it up, we speak we we mix languages like crazy. And we are it's like food for my soul. And this is one of those things that um that people who who struggle countries, cultures um, might miss, I believe. And uh, if there could, you know, if there could be such, I, it's something I encourage quite, quite a bit. So I feel warm and fuzzy inside and we cook what we cook, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we eat in, in Kenya, my family here will be like, oh, they, they eat it begrudgingly, but I sit with them, <laughs> I sit with my girls 
I see with my girls and you know it's and it's it's about we focus a lot on you know food and and sharing space with with food and anecdotally which is just just to mention it when somebody comes into my home or has visited and even if it's an impromptu and I'm sitting down to a meal they'd better eat with me because there is no way you can say no whatever I have and then this is one of the sayings in almost all our languages whatever is in my plate can be divided by whoever whichever number of people are in my vicinity everybody will eat a muscle and everybody will be happy for it so I it it was quite shocking you know when somebody comes in I say come on sit and they said no and they felt comfortable to say no I was like, no you cannot be comfortable saying no to <laughs> but those are the things you know we learn we adapt but it's those are some of the unchanging parts of me that that I carry yeah, and it does also come back to the the sort of storytelling element of, of the culture um, uh, about how you um, express yourselves in different ways. It can be food, it can be the company you keep, it can be those individual words, and um, you also find similarity in differences because you know, these these words and this uh, the messages which you find so amusing, which are very specific to your culture, um, can only be shared by people who have experienced it. It's oh. a shame that other cultures can't also share in this, um, but that maybe would be too much to expect, I guess. They need an immersion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, I've often uh, sort of watched as certain conversations develop online about um, people from Africa, some of, especially the you know, historical uh, stories um, and, and obviously tragedies as well that have befallen many people from Africa over the years. Um, and, and whenever somebody who is of non-African descent comes in and asks a question, um, some people take their time to answer them and to point them in a certain direction. But then other people are very much like, look, I'm not here to educate you. Um, you have to educate yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think there's anything wrong in either one of those uh, perspectives. But just quickly, because I know you need to, to go soon as well. How important do you find the voice of African people in discussions about African history and uh, sharing cultures, as it were, in a European setting? I think it goes without saying that uh, that they are the ones who probably know it best, at least within their their circle, the realm of experience. You would not, I would not be, I would not be your go-to person if you want to speak about politics or the or, or the the innate nature of politics in 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 Africa, in Kenya, in in Kenya perhaps a bit, but not fully. So within our own realm, there there needs to be a voice, not only not only you know in very specific technical subjects, but even within those technical subjects, one's experience at whichever level is is much more welcome. And when you started the question, you said the two ways that uh, that one reacts it's either go educate yourself or uh, or um, I'll, I'll 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 give it to you i'll break it down for you at some point um you know i've been i've been here for almost um 
17 years. It's, it's a long time. And there is, my experiences here have shaped me in how willing or open I am to, to, to educate someone. But my experience has also taught me to, to read this person, whether they are being just colors in their question, whether they are, they really want to know. I would know if somebody really wants to know and they, they, they acknowledge their ignorance in, in the matter, or if one is playing at um, know-it-all. So, of course, the way my experience has, has, has shaped me in, in, in Germany and in Europe, the very first, um, innately, I, I, I stiffen. I stiffen at some questions, but then I, I tell myself, just listen to this person. Where is this person coming from? And my first, really, the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction is to, is to say, hey, go, go educate yourself. Um, we're living in this world and time where everything is global. You can you can find it, but I bring it down to okay. I'll I'll try to educate you. I'll, just anecdotally again, and this was somebody who was being an idiot. I must sorry for the use of strong word. I use stronger, I, but because I know this is going to go public, I'll, I'll keep it <laughs> an idiot. So the the Chaos Communication Congress, which is a whole bunch of nerds and computer geeks. Uh, just because they have quite interesting uh, sessions talking about um, from from uh, breaking down of particles in physics to to um, how does the how does the government control elections you know things like this I sit there with with my computer and this guy really literally I I did not I did not expect that walks up to me and says ah so you have computers in Africa. So I look at him, I'm like, well, you know what? We've built like the best infrastructure on the trees we live in with the monkeys around our backs. And we have electricity, which we, you know, harness from, you know, little, little, little windmills <laughs> flopping apart in, in the background. I mean, that was, that was crossing a line. I mean, this was an extreme. But there are those people who would, you know, genuinely want to know, you know, what, how do you do this? How um, I also make a, a joke about, you know, I, do, I, I can touch hot things. I don't burn until I make an anecdote and say, mm, black people don't burn. That's why we don't cremate. <laughs> but that's going behind it. But generally, the, the very first knee-jerk reaction in some cases when questions are asked is to you stiffen up. You're like, you, you feel the prejudice in the question, even though, even when it's not there. And so, which is why more voices should be given to to Africans in within within uh, talking about things that that relate to them publicly within the media, which rarely rarely happen. Yeah, far too many uh, European uh, experts uh, in Africa, as opposed to African experts from Africa. Very much. I know you have to run off, uh, Flora, so um, I will look forward to our future communications in, in any case. Uh, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your storytelling and your anecdotes and your big smile, which only I will see because this <laughs> is a podcast. Um, and I wish you well and look forward to the next one. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you and a lot more has come out of this. So I look forward to our next
two and um, like 